contracts. Intellectual property. Labor law. And much more. Make up the, the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 17 of NCN Entertainment Law Podcast. I'm Tony Lee Costas. And I'm Evan Narr. Tony, we have an extremely busy week in entertainment. We had, no pun intended, the Tonys that went on unscripted on CBS. The Flash is coming out this weekend. We're going to go see it in Gotham, Gotham Planetarium. At Gotham Planetarium. We're going to see it tomorrow together. We have a date at the Smith beforehand. <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> uh, Pat Sajak retiring. The Tribeca Film Festival is wrapping up, I believe, this weekend. Uh, and I was at an Ed Sheeran concert this past yeah. weekend, which was monumental because this was the Sunday concert. The most tickets sold for a MetLife concert ever. 89,000 tickets sold, which is insane. And, you know, I thought about it because you would think Taylor Swift, who arguably has a wider appeal than Ed Sheeran, even though Ed, Ed Sheeran is an, an international guy, you would expect her to sell out more because of the Eras tour that's monumental. Absolutely. However, her seats or her floor um, has seats, assigned seats, whereas Ed, it was general admission pit. Oh, you okay. could fit in a lot. That makes sense. So I don't want to say he's fudging with the numbers here, but I mean, you could fit in a lot more if you're not having them sit down. Uh, so very interesting, nonetheless. Also, was the first thanks to your video, I was the first to learn that he wrote. Um, I love yourself. I had no idea about love that. Love yourself, Justin Bieber's and song. Maybe a little pop quiz for the listeners out there, but that leads you to believe now. Anytime that Justin Bieber has to perform that song, he's probably going to have to get a public performance license from Ed Sheeran because he probably owns a copyright. Yeah, and, and an- another uh, very talented writer as well is Ryan Tedder. You know who he is? Yes, I do. lead singer yeah. of One Republic. Yeah. The amount of work he has touched is unbelievable. Mark Ronson as well, but Mark hasn't sung anything yeah. really. He does more of the music. Sure. But very interesting nonetheless, but we do have a special announcement that we wanted to share with you guys. Yeah, we, we are super excited for this one. Um, I, I guess we'll put in like our makeshift drum roll. So we are excited to announce uh, that we are partnering with a brand new app called Shake. And you probably never heard of them, and rightfully so, because they really are a young, growing app in an already saturated app market. But what they bring to the table is something unique that you don't really see with other apps. And... Shake is a platform that allows you to record micro podcasts in 30 seconds or less. Uh, very, very easy, seamless process. You can essentially create conversation um, with whoever is a part of the community. And it also is a platform to encourage contribution based on any of these micro podcasts that you record. Um, and we're proud to be one of the first legal content creators, if not actually Evan and I think are the f- very first content legal content creators on Shake. Um, and we're so thankful to Sarah, who um, was is part of the marketing team from what we understand at Shake. Uh, she's just been amazing in, in terms of walking us through this process. Also want to thank Verena, who is the CEO of Shake as well, for really affording Evan and I an opportunity to, to uh, be on this platform. At this point, Shake is only available on the Apple App Store, and you can download the app today. For our listeners, though, because it's closed off to the public, you can get early access using referral code ENDSCENE, E-N-D-S-C-E-N-E, ENDSCENE, all all one word. You can follow me uh, at the IP prof. I couldn't do the IP professor a little bit too long. Ten characters. (laughs) Ten characters, right. Um, But Evan is at EvanR3. 
And you can also follow our end scene huddle, which is basically kind of like our group where we make these contributions. Right. Um, and we're hoping to use this as a platform to provide extra content that doesn't make the cut on the podcast. Um, and we also want to use Shake as an opportunity for you guys to ask Evan and I any questions that you have about entertainment law. And we hope to answer that in the future podcast. So again, the app is Shake, S-H-A-Y-K. And you can use referral code end scene for early access. And you can follow Evan and I there and be a part of the conversation. You took the words right about that. I was going to spell it out for the listeners. And I guess <laughs> great minds think alike here. There you go. Yeah. And, there, and there's no there's no barrier to entry. There's no financial component to it. You just need to enter end scene as the promo code, which will give you exclusive. It's like entering into a club. Yeah, you know? exactly. Club An exclusive 33. club. <laughs> um, so very exciting. Yes. And, and we've been pretty active on there. So exclusive stuff on there. And we're looking forward to talking with you guys more directly. So let's get to the the topics we're going to discuss today. We're going to discuss the recent Supreme Court decision of Jack Daniels versus VIP products, which Tony and I spoke about in episode three of the podcast. We're going to talk about our favorite singer, Dua Lipa's win in court regarding a copyright infringement lawsuit stemming from her song, Levitating. And lastly, we're going to have the latest update on a tentative sag after strike and headlines from this week that indicate that the strike will happen. Uh, it, it's very scary and curious to see how this will pan out for both studios and the actors as well. And lastly, we'll touch on our fun topic in light of The Flash coming out this weekend. We're going to discuss an actor or actress that we'd like to see recast in a role that they had, they had previously played. For example, Michael Keaton is coming back as Batman. We know that, same as Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. So they're off the board because they're already coming back. But you know, I don't want to give any away, but let's say Christian Bale or something, Ooh. someone who used to play Batman, that we'd like to see him reprise the role again. And as always, Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything that we say in today's episode is purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape or form. And anything we say in today's episode is not to be construed as legal advice. So first up on the docket, no pun intended, was the <laughs> VIP products case that was on the Supreme Court's docket for a few weeks. Tony and I, again, spoke about this in episode three. So if you want to hear a more in-depth review of that, please check out episode three. But we'll do a bird's eye view here. So the Supreme Court finally came down with a decision. What was it, two Thursdays ago? Uh, No, last Thursday. Oh, last Thursday, yeah. yeah. Uh, To reiterate, so there is a dog toy company named VIP Products that makes parodic dog toys. One of them was Bad Spaniels, which was supposed to be a play on Jack Daniels, the Jack Daniels brand. Jack Daniels, of course, gets wind of this and sues VIP products for trade dress infringement and trademark dilution. And, of course, the age-old defense to trademark infringement is fair use, and that is exactly what VIP products argued. So, Tony, what is your, as a law school professor, (laughs) what is your analysis of what the court decided here? Do you think they got it right? What do you think are the ramifications moving forward? Uh, to quote the great Stephen A. Smith, when he was asked if Kwame Brown um, was a bad trade when he got traded for uh, Paul Pau Gasol, is that a trick question? <laughs> <laughs> um, first off, let me address the most surprising thing about this ruling. This was a unanimous ruling, ladies and gentlemen, mm. 9-0 ruling in favor of Jack Daniels. I'm not going to lie. Based on the oral arguments, at least the same ones that everybody else heard, I'm honestly stunned that there wasn't a more even split down the middle between uh, the two, you know, uh, between the court here. 
Um, they I, may I, be diametrically opposed when it comes to human reproductive <laughs> rights and whatnot, but when it comes to intellectual property, I, yeah, I guess not. United Front. <laughs> but I gotta say though, I I just think that. Um, you know, it, it just based on the oral arguments, how how contentious it was, especially by Lisa Blatt, who was the attorney for uh, Jack Daniels. You know, you you would think that they were that Jack Daniels was just very salty because the the toy on the outside made reference to fecal matter and you know, uh, you know, peeing and all that. Like, you know, it's a tease. It's it's a it's like a third grade joke of any if anything. Um, but all that to say, I just think that this was a very, that was probably the most surprising of all. Now, number two, I, to Evan's question about, you know, am I, do I agree with this decision? Uh, that's going to be an emphatic no. I do not agree with this decision whatsoever. I think that this is, um, unfortunately one of these types of cases that is probably going to bite everybody in the rear end, no pun intended also there, um, with, with bad case law, I think. So to set up the stage for everybody, we talked about this in episode three. You can go back and check it out. This case was really all about whether or not the use of the Jack Daniels bottle, which is registered as trade dress, was incorporated by VIP products in a way that qualifies as fair use, a tra- trademark fair use. There are two different types of trademark fair use. There's nominative fair use and descriptive fair use. Um Nominative fair use is when you invoke the name of the product. Descriptive fair use is when you when you can't help but use that product um, to help describe the the you know whatever you're you're referencing to. Um, that's like a very very Reader's Digest version of of fair use from the trademark landscape. Um, but one thing that's of noteworthy value, especially on the nominative trademark fair use front, is that uh, it's typically used for non-commercial uses. And there's a very specific case that is was used by VIP products. It's the Rogers v. Grimaldi test, which basically argues that in creative works, you can use someone else's trademark without having to license. Again, very Reader's Digest version of the argument. And over from, from the District of Arizona, whichever district it was, um, to the Ninth Circuit, it kind of morphed from it being a parody case, very uh, very much the equivalent of the Chewy Baton case that we also talked about in episode three, mm-hmm. to this being more about, is this free expression that's protected under the First Amendment? Is that is that what's evident here? The Supreme Court basically puts aside the First Amendment. They say, we're not going to review it on that basis. We're not going to review it on the Grimaldi basis even. We're just going to look at it plain and simple. The trade dress, the Jack Daniels bottle is registered as trade dress. It, the, the way the dog toy is created is designed like the bottle. This creates consumer confusion, period. They didn't go any further beyond that. Do you disagree with that, though? I mean, I'm, I mean, I think there is no denying that the bottle from the, the toy looks identical to the bottle, the real-life bottle. I mean, obviously, there's not liquor inside. But, I mean, looking at – and I think in what it may be a smaller version oh, yeah. and less I mean, heavy. I, you know, ironically, I brought the I bought the toy because I was afraid <laughs> I was afraid that they were going to enjoin it. Yeah. Like from production, that that's you know the life of an IP there professor. I should have brought it with me, but yeah, I would say it's about like you know more or less like about a foot high. Yeah. Um, it's pretty big, but it, it's it, it's obviously the kind of thing where even if you looked at the labeling, the only extent of any similarity is the font, mm-hmm. and that's really it. And the shape of the bottle. And the shape of the bottle too, obviously, but I mean like and the, the trade dress that's black. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, just going yeah, in. This is, uh, you know, I think this is like the first time we're disagreeing. I know we are disagreeing. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but no, but all all that to say, this is quite cl- uh, clearly. I mean, this feels like a, a fact pattern straight out of the uh, out of a law school exam, and yeah. you know, it's like it's almost like you're if you were uh, if you review Chewy Vuitton 
you know, this is the kind of question he would get on an exam. Um, ironically, I did speak to, uh, I, I, I did not ask for permission to disclose his name, so I'm not going to disclose his name, but I ironically did speak to um, one of the attorneys who worked on the mischief, um, the amicus brief that we talked about mm-hmm. for episode three, mm-hmm. um, who ironically listened to our episode. You know who you are if you're listening. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and he, even he said, it's so obvious, so blatantly obvious that this is a parody. And yet here we are, you know, weeks later since that conversation that I had with him and the Supreme Court just didn't see eye to eye at that. So I think it's of noteworthy value, though, that this case, even though the Supreme Court ruled that this is trademark infringement that or trade dress infringement and this does cause consumer confusion, this decision ended up getting remanded back to the Ninth Circuit. So now it's really going to be up to the Ninth Circuit to decide is Chui Vuitton going to see its last day or if is this really your you know, your bona fide, you know, trademark infringement claim is parody, a protectable interest here, what have you. Maybe I'm biased because I do work in the in the brand licensing space, but I think it is a, a win for brand owners. You know, it, it should be in their discretion if Jack Daniels wants to make a dog toy. Again, I don't think they're going to make it parodic. They're not going to call it bad spaniels or anything. But if they want to make a smaller dog toy that's based off of their alcoholic beverage, you know, they should be able to do that. The thing, the reason why, I mean, again, the First Amendment, you're talking about freedom of expression and whatnot. And they didn't analyze under that. Not standard. at all. Didn't even touch that at all. <laughs> of course they didn't. <laughs> I mean, generally speaking, I would say, yeah, it's probably like maybe a commentary. But the thing that really gets to me is the commercial nature of all of this. Sure. If you wanted to create a piece of artwork in a gallery or whatever that that opine, that made a joke, you know, Whatever, that's fine. But if you are selling and you're making money and Jack Daniels is getting nothing. Right. Right? Right. Maybe they could license from them. And, and actually that is that was one of the things that I, I found a bit confusing even from hearing the oral arguments, because you're touching on a on a nerve point that I think is an is a great divide in the legal community. What qualifies as commercial versus non commercial use? Right. And the in the oral arguments, commercial use that the example that came up is an actual commercial when you're soliciting a transaction when you watch a car commercial it's encouraging you to buy a car because they're offering zero percent financing off the first five months or six months if you watch a a commercial for target they're having a sale buy one get one free those are obviously that that is the inherent nature of commercial use but isn't it the same thing when you look at a product and has a price tag hanging off of it. I, I mean, think it's more broad. Commercial right. is exchanging money. Right. That's. I mean, that's how I see it too. Right. Now, I will say, I totally see your point. For me, I guess the way I see it is, I don't know. I, I think the fair use argument from the trademark side of things, the trade dress side of things is so strong that that's why I feel it doesn't really qualify as infringement because of the inherent nature of uh, what VIP products does. They they literally parody, parody off of every other liquor product out there, alcoholic beverage. But I will say there is an argument to be made, at least for the trademark dilution side of things, because yeah. I think there is an argument to say that there is trademark dilution by blurring, where you're, where a consumer could dissociate themselves from Jack Daniels and the design of the bottle and associate the design of the bottle more with VIP products. That I definitely buy. I could, t- I could totally see an argument for dilution there, but... Maybe I'm a bit liberal when it comes on the fair use argument side of things, but uh, I, I definitely think that there was a lot to to um, at stake here from the Truly Vuitton case that I think applied here. But 
Supreme Court disagreed with me. So, you know, at least now I have something to talk about next semester. To quote L. Woods, I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. There was a lot of legal jargon we threw at you. Uh, hopefully, go, go ahead and clench yourself from all the legal jargon. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you understood all of that. If not, follow Sorry. us on Shake and we can explain that. Exactly. Follow us on Shake. There you go. For whole uh, code end scene. Yeah, end scene. For our next topic, we wanted to talk about Dua Lipa's win in court regarding her song Levitating, which is on her future nostalgia album. And I need to just stop for a second and admire the extreme creativeness of that album. I'm not even exaggerating. Every song on that album is incredible. It's very well well composed, such a banger. And, you know, obviously we're full of puns today, but no pun intended. It really is nostalgia central because of, I guess, just the incorporation of certain instruments like synth, a lot of synth in it. Um, I feel it, like you're at a club, like it, a 70s absolutely, club. Absolutely, yeah. Like, I, I, my, my dad loves disco, so I think that I hearken to that album a lot because, like, he loves the Bee Gees and, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire. So a lot of the instruments that are incorporated in disco era songs are in that uh, album. It's really, really a banger. Yeah, and she's, you know, Dua Lipa's good friends with Elton John. They had that collaboration yep. on Cold Cold Heart. So why is this relevant here? So there is a band named Article Sound System. I believe they're a reggae band based out of Florida, or they were founded in Florida, yep. uh, my home state. And they brought a lawsuit against Dua Lipa, arguing that their song, Live Your Life, uh, is, yep. is very similar to that of Levitating. So... What do I mean by that, Tony? So the argument, obviously, from Article Sound System's point of view is that the melody contained within uh, uh, their song, uh, Live Your Life, the chorus, is identical. That's their allegation, uh, or was their allegation, rather, um, that it's identical to the chorus that you hear in Levitating by Dua Lipa. So we're actually going to pause for a sec. Let's play Article Sound System's Live Your Life, and we're going to compare that to Dua Lipa's song, Levitating. Now, ironically, obviously this case is dismissed, which we'll touch a little bit more on in a moment, but you said, because I don't even know if you uh, had heard the original song from Article Sound System, you actually said that they do sound a little bit similar. I, I think they do. Now, listen, uh, and and we're going to go into why the judge ruled against um, Article Sound System. As a non-biased person, I do think they sound legitimately the same. But again, as Ed Sheeran proved to us in his lawsuit that he won, a lot of songs have similar chord progressions, you know, and you can have very, you know, you could just go straight into other songs. I think actually at his concert, he played the song No Diggity. Oh, oh my God, I love right, that song. Which is a great song. Um, and he went right into another song. I forgot which one it was that he sang of one of his own songs, but they sounded very similar. Interesting. But the people that created No Diggity aren't going to go after Ed Sheeran. But again, it just shows how similar how many how many notes how many progressions are there in, in the music world anyway i digress <laughs> well, it was a very passionate speech about this but i mean you were a surveyor of this so obviously to even from evan's point of view his musically non-gifted mind which <laughs> I, I too share in that same vein um it, it 
you can you can make the argument the reasonable argument that they do sound similar but uh the what basically killed this lawsuit for article sound system is that according to judge sykes in the central district of california well, this, first of all, it has an incredible first name. I know. Sunshine. Sunshine S. Sykes. So, I mean, that's a lot of that's a, a lot of S's. That's an incredible name. And then coupled with Article Sound System, Sun, oh my gosh, so many S's here. What if his nickname was Triple S? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so all rise for the honorable Triple S. <laughs> I love it, I love it. That's so good. Um, now I can't stop thinking of Vin Diesel as Triple X now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh gosh. It's all, it's all in the family, guys. Um, so... The uh, so Judge Sykes ruled um, on a motion to dismiss that was filed by Warner Records and Dua Lipa, arguing that there you know wasn't enough proof or evidence of copyright infringement. And we've talked about this before, but just as a reminder, the prongs of copyright infringement you have to show that there's a valid copyright, meaning that the person that is claiming the infringement has actually taken their work and has registered it in the U.S. Copyright Office, and of course, of course, meets the prongs of being a copyright that it's an original work of authorship that's fixed in a tangible medium of expression one of the exclusive rights under copyright law is violated so in this case article sound system likely would argue that dual lipa's levitating is a derivative work so that's something that would be uh, alleged in the complaint but the the MacGuffin, the key to any successful copyright infringement lawsuit is proof of access yep. and substantial similarity and substantial similarity is a whole thing of its own. Um, you would have to show that there's some, n- not just a simple little copying here and there, but a blatant appropriation of the original work of authorship in the infringing work. You would also have to do some type of extrinsic versus intrinsic point of view. Would you know If you look at the totality of it, do you really see it as an infringing work? That's a whole meatball of an argument. But access... Actually, I got to say, in if I'm being quite frank, is one of the easier prongs to prove, especially if you're alleging that someone big is, you know, ha- had access to your original work of authorship. So, I mean, think of, let's say, the Ed Sheeran uh, side of things when, you know, that lawsuit went down for his uh, his song against um, Marvin Thinking Gale. Out Loud yeah. with, uh, with um, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on the uh, name of um, Ed Townsend. Ed Townsend. You know, that case was all about, you know, did... Obviously, you know, the case was dismissed because they said that, you know, Thinking Out Loud was its own original creation. But you can argue, you could make a reasonable argument that Ed Sheeran had access to Let's Get It On because Let's Get It On is one of the most popular R&B songs of all time. There is no denying that. On records, Spotify, Apple, whatever. Exactly. So in this case, uh, from what I recall, I think Article Sound System really didn't have more than like a few hundred thousand streams um, across all the streaming platforms. They did make the Billboard Top 10, I believe, for their genre and reggae. But Live Your Life is not popularly syndicated out there in the radio airwaves, at least not to the extent of like, let's say, levitating. So the fact that Judge Sykes said that she was granting the motion to dismiss because article sound system was unable to prove access that's big so i mean you know she at the time on june 5th uh, had filed um had approved the motion to dismiss with leave to amend here we go with more legal jargon with leave to amend basically means that um she's basically given them a second chance they have until june 30th um to amend their complaint to show a satisfaction of that access prong before it goes forward but it was all for naught because it ended up happening two days later that the uh, the lawyers for Article Sound System ended up dropping the the lawsuit. They filed a 
uh, stipulation order, motion to dismiss. They The case was dismissed with prejudice, so that means that they cannot bring back that case. It is done in the books. That is one lawsuit down on the levitating front. There is still a second pending copyright infringement lawsuit over levitating by two other artists, the writers for Wiggle and Giggle All Night, a 1970s song, and Don't, Don't Diablo. Um, those are two songs that are also you can hear some similarity between the two but um it, it's obviously a you know a to be determined case still but at least now Dulipa is uh has a win under her belt for this one you want to see something funny I'm, I, as you were talking i was looking on spotify to see how many streams um live your life had I, I couldn't find it but when i type in article sound system on spotify in the search engine levitating comes up <laughs> take a look at this Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy? I mean, I would imagine people search people for People are searching Actually, it. this is a shout out to uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jared Germain. You probably have seen oh, yeah. him as the guy that points up during those videos. He and I actually have be uh, become friends. And, and there's a running joke that probably he's the reason why Dua Lipa got sued because he pointed out these similarities. And he's actually a music producer himself. And he's really good about identifying when sampling does exist or when it doesn't exist or when there's interpolations or... Uh, anything of that sort. And he was the one, rightfully to his own credit, he was able to identify potential similarities between Levitating and uh, Live Your Life and the Don Diablo Wiggle and Giggle All Night songs. So uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, I don't know if maybe Dua Lipa's not a fan of Jared Germain, but I certainly <laughs> am. Give him a follow. So that will wrap up our... And well, also, I mean, Dua Lipa is just so renowned. I oh, mean, yeah. everyone heard Levitating. I'm sure of maybe course. Article Sound System may have gotten wind of this. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Do you want me to say it on the podcast? No, it's okay. All right. Well, I was going to say Article Sound System or Ass. Uh, you know, I mean, it was a good try, honestly. Listen, all, all, all jokes aside, I think it was a worthy effort. But uh, I think it does go to show you that, you know, copyright infringement... Um, you know, may not necessarily be a slam dunk case all the time. It really, you got to have your ducks in a row, your I's dotted, your T's crossed before you make any allegation of that sort. It's a great conversation. Congratulations, Dua Lipa. Uh, we will move on to our last topic, which I'm the most excited to talk about. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do want to give a shout out. You know, I did see this on LinkedIn and uh, a colleague of mine is someone who I really look up to, Simon Pullman. Uh, who works at Prior Cashman, did share uh, this on his LinkedIn, and I sent it to Tony literally minutes before we started recording. Stunned. I said, we got to talk about we this. We got to talk about this. So we talked about the WGA strike ad nauseum, I think, what, two, two episodes much ago? Pretty like almost every week. Every week. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's still ongoing. The Tonys went on. Again, I was at the Ed Sheeran concert when it went on, but when I watched it, it seemed like it was fine without any writers. And that was like pretty monumental. That's the first time that that's happened in, in quite some time. SAG-AFTRA, which is the body, the organization that almost every actor or actress is a part of, is going towards a strike if the if the AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA cannot come to an agreement at the end of June. Now remember, the Directors Guild, DGA, came to an agreement. Yep. Um, but SAG-AFTRA is pretty huge like literally if you have several acting credits you are part of sag after most mm -hmm. likely in any event there are a slew of summer blockbusters that are coming out and i would argue again i haven't seen any of these contracts but i would assume that actors and actresses that are in these movies let's take margot robbie for example who is in barbie mm -hmm. 
part of their contract to be in the movie is to do press and marketing and and junction or uh, junkus, excuse me. But how does that come into effect if there is a strike? What do you think? I mean, this highlights pr- quite prominently if there's an obligation on the actors front to satisfy the terms of their of their contracts. You know, to Evan's point, um, you know, these actor agreements contain tons of stipulations. Put aside the fact that, you know, they have to be available for wardrobe, uh, you know, um, you know, rehearsals and, you know, pre-production meetings and post-production meetings and reshoots. Reshoots, yeah. All, all, like, they're, they're, their schedule is so rigorous as it is that they have to really block out time in the calendar. And it actually makes you appreciate then all the more how complicated it was for someone like Henry Cavill to shoot Justice League simultaneously to the Mission Impossible film, which ironically part of his contract was he had to keep the mustache and then there was all... And Mission Impossible. And Mission Impossible, right. And, but not and, as Superman. As Superman is un, unheard of. And there was this whole scandal of like mustache gate. Everybody made fun of the CGI, which is so laughable because it's like he's it's it's so tell. weird. It's like it almost like he it's like too like glued to his face. But I have to admit, though, be, I, I love the Mission Impossible franchise. But Henry having his mustache, I think his name was August or Augustus something. It did make him kind of badass. Oh yeah, no question. I mean, even the 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 <laughs> lock and reload, the the punch thing, yeah, that was great. Incredible. Um, so these are this is you know commonplace in a, in an actor agreement. I would bet my bottom dollar that in an actor agreement where they have these obligations to do press junkets, there might be certain additional clauses related to non-performance or an inability to perform a contract. We've seen them in the form of a force majeure clause. You know, we've seen that in some form or fashion in our respective fields. Force majeure ca- clauses are essentially where an act of God takes place, where um, something supernatural or unheard of occurs that prevents the performance of that contract. That's not really the kind of thing that I think triggers a force majeure event here, but it does lead you to believe if um, union you know, holdups or something like that would allow actors to kind of avoid satisfaction of that, of, of that, uh, you know, um, term of the contract. That said, let's say it doesn't happen. Are they going to be get penalized? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Probably not because that the reason why people are going to the movies is because of the actors. Yeah. People are going to see the Barbie movie because of uh, Margot Robbie, uh, Robbie. They're going to see Barbie because of actors like Ryan Reynolds. People are going to... Uh, uh, sorry, Ryan, Ryan Gosling. They all, <laughs> and and uh, director Greta Gerwig and Simu Liu. Yeah, yeah they, they got a whole bunch of actors there. People are going to go see um, Oppenheimer for, you know, Robert Downey Jr. And it's a Christopher it, Nolan it, Christopher film. Nolan and, you know, all these other people that contributed to that film. Bottom line is, I don't think that just because you did a press junket is uh, it, it's going to lead to some type of breach of contract claim. I think they would probably work that out on the back end inevitably. That said, I will say this is going to really hurt the news industry. No questions asked because now that you don't have nighttime talk shows, the only time that actors can do brush junkets and promote the film is during daytime talk shows like GMA, World News, uh, or not even World News, um, GMA Today Show. Um, Today, The t- View, you know, all Kelly it, and yeah. Mark. Uh, even even um, CBS the, Kelly the View, Clarkson. Like, yeah. know, these these are like daytime talk shows or morning news programs that would normally allow an actor to come in to talk about the movie. If if you don't have if SAG after a, the the SAG strike actually happens and actors don't do any press junkets, that's 
10, 15 minutes of time that now the news has to scramble to figure out what are we going to fill that in with. Yeah. So it adds a bit of a wrinkle to that uh, for sure. Also, one other thing that's of noteworthy value in addition to what Evan talked about is Disney also announced, I, I think yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yesterday being June 13th, that a number of Lucasfilm, Marvel Studios films, and 20th Century films uh, would have moves, uh, would have dates of movies pushed back some a few months, maybe even as far back as a year. I mean, hello, McFly. If that's not a signal for a SAG, a SAG after strike is happening, I don't know what is. That is every indication that a SAG strike is going to happen. And let me tell you, one strike is already bad enough as it is. We haven't had a talk show in almost five five weeks, and it's kind of getting annoying to look at the reruns. But if you couple that with the SAG strike, this will be truly catastrophic for the entertainment industry all the movies that we were looking forward to next year not going to happen and that's that's actually going to put a damper more or less on the movie on the movie industry at large but even movie theaters which already as it is people don't really feel comfortable paying such a high price for tickets anyway so yeah there's like literally so much that I want. it's so interconnected <laughs> yeah and there's just so much i want i mean to... like i'm curious like as as a amc steps you know member yeah. yourself you're like everywhere on amc like yeah. you're you're the vip like as a movie goer though like like you would be upset by something like this if if this actually came to fruition. Even putting aside the le- the legal aspect of it, but th- this would definitely adversely affect you as as an AMC member. Right? How do you mean, like, del- like, like delays of movies or like the delay of movies and all? Like if if basically all these projects get keep getting pushed back if there's no resolution anytime yeah. soon. I mean, this is really detrimental. At least I think so. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, I I would argue that press junkets and interviews and whatnot certainly do add to the appeal of seeing movies like I cannot wait for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning and I actually see and I want to give credit where credit is due in this variety article written by Matt Donnelly and Brett Lang the one that that uh, Simon posted Mission Impossible which releases July 12th uh, they moved the pre- the international press junket from June 18th and 19th there were behind-the-scenes footage of Tom Cruise jumping off a mountain several yep. times. Like to hear him talk about that experience during interviews with whomever it is, you know, Variety, Comic Book, whatever, uh, the Hollywood Reporter. That's going to get me really excited to see it come to fruition on the screen. Luckily, we'll be able to have that because mm-hmm. the 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 press junkets are going to be within the time frame before they need to come to a resolution. But yeah, certainly, I mean. And I would argue, again, you're going to see – I'm curious because the Marvel movies that are delayed have not been filmed or have not been completed yet. They, I don't even – like, for example, Blade got pushed back. Like, I don't even – That movie's never that, coming that, out. That's such a disaster of a film. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I need to do some more research on whether films that are already completed are having – are moving back significantly. I don't know. Well, like, for example, I think Deadpool 3 is already filming, but they can't they can't work anymore because of the WGA strike. Right. So. That got also got pushed back a few months. And famous actresses like Zoe Saldana put out a, a statement like she's gonna she I think she tweeted that she's gonna be fifty one when Avatar wow. three or four comes out whatever because it was pushed back several years I, I think two or three years or something. And, and um, what's her name Sigourney Weaver will be over eighty years old playing a teenager, That's crazy. which is crazy. So this really does have ripple effects. Um, you know the writers are just as important as actors too, but actors take already existing films that are done with production and really bring it to another level. And I'm curious, and Tony, I don't know if we had an, if we had an answer to this, whether agreements that were already signed, right, you, you mentioned this earlier, whether agreements that are already signed that say you have an obligation 
whether they are still held to that if there is a strike, I don't know. So unless they signed a term sheet, then it's like <laughs> the South Park Central or something like that. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on, but I certainly think it will shift the marketing plans Definitely. for studios. Uh, it will push back certainly production and whatnot. And the writers' strike has gone on for several weeks now. I don't know how long it will take for SAG after to come to a resolution, but it, it's certainly very scary the outlook for Hollywood. So I really do hope that both sides come to a resolution soon Definitely. Uh, for consumers as well. Yep. And that will lead us to our final topic here, which is going to be about who we would like to see reprise a role. Do we say DC specifically or you know, actually, let's say DC we'll specifically? We'll keep it DC specific. Yeah, sure. Because of the Flash. So we want to pick a character that an actor or actress has portrayed in a previous movie that they are done playing the character. So Michael Keaton is playing the Batman again. We can't choose him. You know, I'm trying to think who else. Ben Affleck playing the Batman again. We can't choose him. I, I Gal Gadot has re- reprised Wonder Woman, spoiler alert, in Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Did you know that? Uh, they, I think they, they spoiled the They did spoil it on, a, on, a, or on an advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, with that in mind... Who are you picking? Uh, I'm picking Jim Carrey, the Riddler. You? <laughs> That's exactly. Who. Oh my God! Get As Edward Nigma. Yeah, that... absolutely, Edward Nigma. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God! Sorry, I, I saved myself from the profanity. <laughs> we That's exactly to... who oh I was going to choose. That's crazy. That's crazy to think. Well, let me just say, I mean, you'll probably agree with me on this. Um, we got Corey Michael Smith as Riddler in Gotham, which I think is what, probably the best Batman series out there. Um, it I never watched like, it. It's very good. So good. It's basically kind of, I guess, kind of the spin that um, that uh, Matt Reeves wants to do with the uh, Gotham PD show yeah. on HBO Max. Um, but it, it's really like kind of shows like the growing underground world of of Gotham um, before Batman, you know, Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, excellent performance of Edward Nigma, or I guess his, his name was Edward Nashton by Paul Dano in um, the the Batman uh, airing in 2022. But you know, there's something campy about the Jim Carrey version of Riddler. Yeah. Um, very different from you know all the other renditions. Obviously, you know the Paul Dano version. This guy's essentially a serial killer madman. Um, the Corey Michael Smith version. Um, Edward Nigma is essentially portrayed as a schizophrenic which is and has multiple personality disorder that leads him to become the riddler and he's also fascinated with riddles that makes him you know have that uh you know uh obsession with riddles and becomes a riddler but you know there's it's just like it's very like jim carrey's version is like very adam west he's uh he's funny he's cheesy he his portrayal of it is truly to the core of how you read it in the comic books um, if there's anything that Joel Schumacher got right, it's that, honestly. So I mean, er- everything about Batman Forever was kind of campy. Even Two Face, oh, yeah. even uh, Tommy Lee Jones' portrayal. Oh, totally. I mean, I mean, I, I, don't even get me started on Batman Robin, like the Batman credit card. Like that was like campy central. <laughs> I, I really like. They're they're fun movies. They're very low rated on IMDb. Ki- remember? Do you remember uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's line? What do you say? Let's kick some. Ice instead of you know ass not article sounds uh, article sounds <laughs> oh man all right I'm upset because you took mine here I swear to God like I literally have I typed in DC movies and I see Batman Forever I'm like Jim Carrey all right so I mean the obvious answer would be I would love to see Heath Ledger portray the Joker that would again be great yeah but 
I'll go with another character in um, that Batman trilogy. I'd like to see Michael Caine as Alfred again. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Andy Serkis's rendition, and I'm, I'm looking up the name right Michael now. Michael Guff, who's the, the other, the, 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 who I think has passed away quite he a while has. ago. Yeah. From, the, From ba- the original Batman, yeah. Yes. And I think it's Guff. It, I know it's G-O-U-G-H. Go or Guff, Go whatever. or Guff, yeah. Um, and then Jeremy Irons plays him in uh, the DC yeah, universe. Yeah, ba- Batman uh, versus Superman. Batman versus Superman, Superman yeah. which his voice is incredible. Oh, yeah, totally. Scar. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, Michael Caine... He's done so many iconic roles, but just being the butler, the the one who looks after Bruce Wayne, I think he really nailed it to a T. The scene that I love the most of Michael Caine is um, the scene where, you know, we think that Batman died. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the Batman, uh, the third movie. The third one, The Dark Knight Rises. Um, he's like, I have failed you. I have failed you. He has like that very, like, very distraught face. But man, that's like. That's Oscar-worthy. That's such a great performance. He, he is fantastic. And I know it's more of a supporting role, but having a good Alfred is very important for a Batman very movie. Very key. Actually, I would say that um, if any in any way the slicer dice it, Alfred is always like the voice of reason for Batman. Because oh, yeah. Batman acts on impulse, but it's Alfred who's there to kind of like level him and you know give him measured advice. So, yeah, definitely. So that will bring us to the end of episode 17 of End Scene Entertainment Law Podcast. We are in Tony's office right now. Uh, bon, vio- bon voyage to Felicia at the yeah. P&T Let's Network. Let's give a round of applause. Round of applause to Felicia. Uh, we're we're going to miss you. We got an email today that she's no longer with P&T onto greener, greener pastures, but we still got our guy Serge over there. Uh, so a lot of exciting things for us. We mentioned Shake earlier. Yeah, so definitely check out End Scene on Shake. Remember, uh, Shake is only available on the Apple App Store, not available on Android yet, although I think there's a wait list for that. So if you do have an Apple iPhone, you can download Shake, S-H-A-Y-K, and you can use referral code End Scene for access to the app. Uh, so definitely check it out. We're very excited to be partners again. Thank you to Sarah and Verena for uh, partnering with Evan and I. We also want to thank Hunter Zarin, uh, my, uh, Evan's cousin, for the theme song, as always. And most importantly, we want to thank all of you for listening to this episode of End Scene and Entertainment Law Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on all social media platforms at End Scene Pod. And now on Shake. And until next time, End, end Scene. scene.